Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Jacoby. I'm a partner at Errant Fox, and I am joined here today for this podcast by my partner in New York City, James Westerland, who's with our insurance group. And we're going to be talking today about insurance coverage issues. You may have read about some of these issues in alerts that we've posted on our website, errantfox.com. And we will cross-link both this podcast and those alerts so you can get further information as you need it. In any event, we're here with James Westerland. James, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. And James, I've got a few questions on insurance coverage, which I think is top of mind for many people as a lot of revenue is being lost in the United States. So let me just dive right in. First of all, what types of insurance should a business be looking to to cover these losses for any shutdowns uh, that are the result of the coronavirus stay-at-home orders or any other issues that are going on right now? A business should uh, see if it purchased business interruption coverage and the uh, related coverage extensions under its uh, commercial package policy. Uh, a loss resulting from direct physical damage or loss at the insurance premises may be covered under the business interruption provisions of an all-risk type policy. Uh, there are also a number of coverage extensions under the commercial property policy. Some that are relevant here might be uh, the contingent business interruption coverage. And that coverage uh, applies um, if there's a disruption in the insurance distribution network not necessarily a, a uh, loss that occurs at the insurance premises. Uh, another type of coverage extension would be the civil authority coverage, and that applies when an insured is unable to access, access its property due to, the, due to a government order um, as a result of physical damage to an adjacent property, uh, not the property itself owned by the insured. The, the That's an interesting one, though, James. Can I interject there? On the yeah. civil authority coverage, would that apply to something like uh, the COVID-19 stay-at-home orders? Because those don't necessarily arise from a something that occurred next door to the property, although in the broader sense, perhaps they do arise from that. What are your thoughts there? <laughs> Well, uh, that, that could be an issue there. And, and the reason I say that is it's, it's somewhat similar to what we saw with the uh, September 11th uh, case law that arose out of that, um, in that, you know, you, you need direct physical loss or damage, but if there is no physical damage to an adjacent property, you might not have the coverage. And, uh, you know, that really goes into uh, what, what I really want to focus on here is that uh, under both the business interruption coverage and these coverage extensions, including the civil authority coverage, um, the insuring agreements uh, require direct physical loss or damage to designated property. Interesting. And the designated property is obviously the, the insured's property that is the subject of the coverage, right? It would be, uh, if it's business interruption, it would be the insurance property. If it's going to be contingent business interruption coverage, it would be uh, someone within the insurance distribution network. So that would be a customer or a supplier. And with respect to um, the civil authority coverage, that would be an adjacent property. And typically the policy says that there has to be direct physical loss or damage within a certain distance from the insurance property, but it's not the insurance property itself. 
I see. So that 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 was going to be one of my questions: is how adjacent does the property need to be? Because here, I suppose there's an argument that in New York, where you are, or California, where I am, that the orders cover every adjacent property. So uh, that impact, I suppose, will be litigated um, in years to come. What are your thoughts? That is true. Um, you know, typically the policy will will tell you um, that it's let's say a mile with you know away from the property or no longer no more than a mile from the property. But uh, the the real issue comes down to uh, whether there was in fact a direct physical loss or damage, and you know that's the next point I think we really want to focus on here. Let me ask you then: If the policy requires direct physical loss or damage, how would that requirement be satisfied? Uh, since the loss arises from the coronavirus, and you know, I'm not sure. You tell me whether that's physical loss or damage. Right, and that's going to be one of the key coverage issues, at least in the perspective of the insuring agreement itself. And it's going to be a hurdle for uh, many insureds to to deal with, I believe. Uh, the insured generally has the burden in the first instance to show that its claim triggers coverage under the insuring agreement of its policy. And we've seen already some insurers disputing whether uh, business interruption loss or civil authority type loss arising from the coronavirus satisfies the direct physical loss or damage element of coverage. Now, there's case law suggesting that a loss arising from a uh, bacterial infection could satisfy the direct physical loss or damage requirement. Um, in the Third Circuit, uh, there's a case, Motorist Mutual Insurance Company versus Hardanger. And there, a homeowner and his family suffered viral infections and related injuries from, from a water well on the property that was infested with E. coli. Uh, the court recognized that bacterial infestation in the water supply for the property could render it uninhabitable and unusable. And that could satisfy the direct physical loss or damage element of the property. But comparing Hardinger to the current uh, coronavirus situation, there may be some differences. Uh, first, um, in Hardinger, there was evidence that the subject well was infested with E. coli and the homeowners had become sick as a result. But here, unless a business uh, tests, tests its property and positively identifies the presence of COVID-19, it may run into an evidentiary issue about whether there was, in fact, infestation at the property. Um, there's, there's business interruption case law uh, from the September 11th terrorist attacks, making clear that fear of direct physical loss or damage is not sufficient for purposes of civil authority coverage. In those cases, airports were shut down for a period following the attacks based on concerns that further attacks may occur. And the businesses in those airports that were shut down as a result could not recover under their policies because there was no loss or damage to an adjacent property. <clears throat> Another issue that might come up also um, is the length of time that the property has been infected by COVID-19. As we all know, a, a virus generally dies even on a hard surface in a matter of hours or days. So that could be another issue for insurance under these circumstances. Interesting. So the on the fear versus actual uh, dichotomy that you just mentioned, uh, that would mean that an operation that actually suffered a minor outbreak of some kind uh, might have 
it might be closer to arguing a claim than a business that was perhaps shut down by one of the stay-at-home orders but did not actually suffer an outbreak among its employees. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, what I'm saying is that I think the insureds are going to have a, a, a very uphill battle in connection with the civil authority orders because they're going to have to show that an adjacent property was physically damaged. And while bacterial infection, there's case law suggesting that bacterial infection can satisfy that burden, and by extension, maybe a virus, I think from an evidentiary perspective, they're going to have a problem of showing that the adjacent property was, in fact, infected. As we all know, everyone's operating now based on fear and really not hard evidence that a particular property has been uh, infected. So that's that argument. Moving on, though, assuming that an insured can show some sort of direct physical loss or damage from the coronavirus, are there then further hurdles through exclusions in a policy that might apply? There could be, uh, and three in particular come to mind. Uh, First, uh, typically by endorsement, some commercial property policies include a virus or bacteria exclusion. Uh, The key language in that exclusion states, we will not pay for loss or damage caused by or resulting from any virus, bacterium, or other microorganism that induces or is capable of inducing physical distress, illness, or disease. So if the policy contains that endorsement, uh, it's very unlikely, I think, that there would be any coverage under the business interruption or other provisions of the policy. There is another uh, endorsement that might come into play here. It's known as the mold exclusion. Um, It excludes from coverage losses arising from uh, mold, mildew, fungus, spores, or other microorganisms of any type. Um, It's not clear how broad the courts are going to interpret that last part of that phrase. It might limit it to instances of mold and mildew. Uh, which precedes that that broad language. Do we have an idea whether courts will be more broadly interpreting or more narrowly interpreting that language? In other words, do you think that courts will try and find a way for an exclusion like the mold and mildew one that you just mentioned not to apply, or are they more likely based on history? Uh, and you've been bringing up, for example, September 11, but maybe there are other disasters that have occurred. Are they more likely, based on history, to go the other direction and interpret more uh, broadly? Well, I've seen courts go in different directions in different jurisdictions on issues like that. You know, in many instances, you know, if the court is pro policyholder, um, it might view it one way, whereas, you know, other courts, and typically, I would say in New York, Typically, they're more strict about the exclusions, and it might be more uh, in favor for uh, an insurance carrier. Uh, You know, there are rules of construction that could apply to this analysis here, one of which is where, you know, certain limited uh, terms precede uh, a a term at issue um, that that can be construed as narrowing uh, that later term, Um, whereas other courts could look at this and say, you know, it's very broad. And if there's any ambiguity, we're going to follow the rules of construction that, uh, you know, an an exclusion will be strictly construed against the insurer and in favor of coverage. So how a court will land on that, not really sure, um, but it can go either way. 
Interesting. And I suppose another uh, element would be how the legislature might decide to go. Has there been any legislative action to require insurance companies to pay business interruption claims regardless of these sorts of limitations that we're talking about? Yes, it's been a pretty controversial issue, I would say, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, In particular, uh, on March 18th, certain members of Congress wrote to heads of four insurance associations and urged their member companies to make financial losses related to COVID-19 part of their commercial business insurance for policyholders. Uh, About a day or two later, the heads of those insurance associations responded, stating that the insurers would provide coverage within the provisions of their policies, but but that the business interruption policies do not and were not designed to provide coverage against communicable diseases such as COVID-19. On the state level, uh, some lawmakers have introduced bills that would prevent business interruption insurers from denying claims based on virus exclusions in their policies. This has occurred in New Jersey, Ohio, and Massachusetts. Uh, The New Jersey bill has been tabled because of potential legal challenges. I think we, we need to recognize that insurance companies price their policies based on the risks that they have agreed to insure. If the insurers are forced to pay losses irrespective of limitations in their policies, it would likely seriously disrupt the model of the insurance industry and potentially cause insurance companies to fail. There have been some certain rumblings that we've heard about over the last couple of days about creating some type of federal backstop insurance program to deal with the uh, business interruption claims, uh, similar to what we had seen uh, following the September 11th terrorist attacks. Uh, but nothing, nothing's been solidified in that regard as of yet, as far as I'm aware. So, James, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on my history, but my recollection is that after the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, which was a huge loss for for the San Francisco Bay Area. That, notwithstanding somewhat vague and and not completely on point insurance provisions, that Lloyd's of London did step in and cover the event. Is am I correct in that? You are. You're absolutely correct, uh, Aaron. Um, that was a long time ago, but that's what caused Lloyds of London to gain recognition as the gold standard uh, in the insurance industry. You know, following that huge earthquake, and and there were big losses back then. But the the leads in in, in uh, Lloyds of London said uh, we're going to pay all claims regardless of any limitations in the policy, and that's how they got to that status. I would say more recently, um, a similar type situation we might have seen is related to uh, Super Storm, uh, storm Sandy, and uh, that you know the carriers in, in the New York area, for instance, uh, said that they weren't going to enforce their hurricane uh, deductibles, and they were just going to apply normal deductibles to homeowners' policies. Um, but with a situation like this, I mean, this is this is gigantic what the potential exposure is here. And the problem is you've got to take a, 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 a good look at that because you could potentially put uh, insurers uh, into insolvency. Um, and so, you know, that we can't turn the insurance model on its head um, and make carriers pay against their contracts 
for risks that they didn't charge the, uh, uh, the the proper premium for that type of risk. And I suppose that with Lloyd's of London back in 1906, as you describe it, that was a commercial carrier stepping up to make its name in the insurance world, whereas otherwise we might be talking about a legislative fix that would require all insurance companies to either be backstopped by the U.S., or simply cause insurance companies to ignore their exclusions, which could be yet another trillion dollar uh, bailout. Um, any thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lloyd's of London is, as we all know, was huge and still is huge, and you know, it's it's a little bit bigger than just one single insurance company. Um, but the other issues that you you bring up, I mean, there are you know you know U.S. constitutional issues, you know, contract, you know, the contracts clause. I mean, we don't have to delve into it all, but um, the legislature can't just come in and turn contracts on its head. Um, I, I remember one of the governors down, and I, I think it was Louisiana. I'm not I'm not positive on which state it was. The following, I believe it was Katrina tried to do a similar type thing, you know, by by order instructing all carriers to disregard exclusion, the flood exclusion in their policies and pay all claims. And the carriers, uh, you know, disputed that, fought it in court and ultimately won on that. That's an interesting direction. And this is all good information. It sounds like there's a lot to come on this and we'll be looking forward to more information and more alert writing and drafting from you, James. Thank you so much for this and for our audience. Uh, remember that uh, you can find more information on COVID-19 related issues at errantfox.com and from Mr. Westerland. Uh, thanks again, James, for being here. Thank you, Aaron.